0: This audio presentation was pre recorded and edited for brevity and clarity.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to our monthly Bright Focus Chat, which is presented by the Bright Focus Foundation. My name is Guy Eakin. I'm the Vice President of Scientific Affairs at Bright Focus. So, today we have two guests, and we're delighted to talk with Meredith Lyons, who's an occupational therapist and a driving rehabilitation specialist, as well as Catherine Freund. So, Catherine is president and founder of the Independent Transportation Network, which is IT in America, and they're celebrating their 20th anniversary this year as a national nonprofit which provides dignified transportation to seniors and adults with visual impairments. So as you may have guessed, the topic is driving safety and how that question relates to the low vision community. We're going to be trying to address questions about how we make decisions about driving and what services exist to augment our driving or even replace it. If you'd like to submit a question at any time during the call today, you can do so by pressing star 3 to submit your question to an operator. And if for some reason you're disconnected from the call, there's a number to call back in. That number is 877 229 8493. You'll then be asked to punch in the ID code, which is 112435. So that's 112435 and 877 229 8493 so well, let's let's kick things off. i I was gonna start by addressing Meredith, our occupational therapist, so being advanced in years doesn't automatically make someone an unsafe driver. So, how do we separate age from safety and meredith you you cover this with clients every day could you Could you walk us through how to go about evaluating your or someone else's driving abilities and making a decision about driving? Sure.
2: Uh, well, first off, um, I completely agree with your statement that there is a huge difference between just, you know, somebody who's older, and, and there are many people that are older and driving safe, safely. Uh, I've seen clients who are well in their 90s and um, have been able to keep some of those clients driving safely. And unfortunately, you know, there are some clients that come in that are you know in their 60s that unfortunately... Um, are no longer safe to drive, so age isn't necessarily that factor that that plays into whether someone's safe to drive um, or not so typically we get referrals from physicians or from family members um, and some of the referrals are diagnosis related someone's had a stroke or a brain injury um, and sometimes they're you know concerned about driving based upon the way they walk or um, that they're just uh, acting a little different, so maybe some cognitive changes. So the first thing that we do um, once someone has been referred for a comprehensive driving evaluation is we spend about an hour and a half to two hours uh, with the client in the office first, getting to know their personal and medical history. Um, having a conversation, people really open up a lot um, when you can have a conversation, and you're not just sitting there with your, you know, pen and paper and jotting down um, medical information. But having the conversation with somebody, I think, is vital to, to really getting to know someone. And then we start doing some of the, um, some of the assessments that are typical for this area of practice for older driver um, evaluations looking at cognition and um, memory and attention, vision, certainly, and physically, you know, or somebody able to react quickly enough to be safe to drive. Uh, then once that,
1: yeah. If you don't mind, so these sound like these are in-off, in-office sorts of tests. You know, do you, do you ever, you know, go out and, go out into the parking lot? What should someone expect in terms of the the actual driving? Will they be observed when when they're working with an occupational therapist and their actual driving?
2: Yes. So the first part is that office portion. And, you know, um, I will sometimes do that so-called office portion in someone's home. Um, I can – most of my equipment is portable and I can bring it there. And then once I've gotten a picture um, about the driver – my client, then we will go out in the car. Um, and we do, we do use, um, our driver education vehicle. It, um, I often get asked, does it have an extra steering wheel? Does it have a, you know, um, extra gas pedal? Um, it does not. It, it only in Maryland, at least where I'm located, um, we are not allowed to have an extra steering wheel. Um, we do have, um, an additional brake pedal, but that's it. Um, and so, and I have extra mirrors. Um, but then what we'll do is we'll, we will start in a parking lot um, or in a person's residential area if I'm going to their home. Uh, and, and we'll slowly progress the, the behind-the-wheel portion of the evaluation from, from, you know, residential area to increasingly more complex traffic scenarios. Um, City streets, and then eventually highway, interstate driving. It's not your typical MVA or you know DMV where you parallel park and you know can you park between the cones and so forth. Um, unless somebody has to parallel park um, in order to park at their house.
1: So it's interesting to to know that there's there's a formal and regimented way that you do your your testing. And I guess I'd be curious. You mentioned that. People can get to you by a referral from the doctor, but if someone were out there, you know, out in the wild, you know, looking for an occupational therapist, how how would they find someone in their in their region? And maybe what what letters should they be looking for after their name? Or how how do you know if you're getting the right person if you're looking for for someone who provides the type of services that you do? Uh,
2: well, there are two organizations. I think that I would start at, I would start with your physician. I think a lot of physicians have access to uh, driving rehab specialists um, who are typically occupational therapists, but not always. Uh, So start with the physician first. And then there are two organizations, uh, American Occupational Therapy Association, Uh, at AOTA.org. That's a great place to find. uh, You can look up a driver specialist there in your area. And then there's also another organization called ADED, A-D-E-D, or Association for Driver Rehabilitation Specialists. And, again, you can look up a driver rehabilitation specialist in your area. So there are a number of ways of locating us.
1: Well, so you've you've gone through a little bit about just you know how, that the testing can occur and that there's a there that there's a way to evaluate a driver's testing, but I guess in in many cases you're going to come up with people who you know who you don't recommend that they you know that they think about giving up the keys, but perhaps you would have recommendations of things that they could do to maybe improve their safety, and you know. Do you have tips or strategies you could recommend to reduce risk on the road for for the people who might be approaching this decision but not quite there yet?
2: Well, so I feel like um people kind of come if they're if they're still continue to be safe to drive but maybe could use a little tweaking to their driving. I feel like that they are in two basic categories um one, somebody maybe who came to me a bit early in recovery. So they've had a brain injury or they've had, um, you know, stroke or um, some other kind of neurologic disorder that they're recovering from. So they're continuing in therapy. And, you know, what I recommend is to continue with that therapy. And I typically write goals uh, for that client that are a little bit more specific to help their rehab team. So either the speech therapist or the occupational therapist, or if it's, a purely physical, um, you know, issue where they're just not reacting quickly because their right leg isn't fast enough, um, and we think it can get rehabbed. So we're not looking at changing the way they drive. Then I'll write specific goals uh, for that individual. Especially, you know, if it's vision related, we'll look at vision rehab. Um, you know, working on tracking and you know, visual tracking, and, and trying to increase visual attention so that they can return to driving safely. Then we may have the other um the other type of, you know, client where um you know, they have some bad habits uh, that we all develop unfortunately. Um, as we get further and further away from our original driver education where you know, you stop at the stop sign for, you know, stay there for a total of 3 complete seconds and you don't, you know, rush through that. So then for those individuals who have kind of these um of bad habits that they've developed along the way, I recommend um, there's a lot of different organizations that cover driver education. Again, um, you know, AARP, uh, AAA. There are some great online activities um, that you can do to kind of keep your brain sharp. Um, if it's if it's the bad habits, then you know, going through an organization like AARP or AAA, and using their Road Wise Review and so forth, to kind of review some of those old um, road rules that may have gotten forgotten. Um, and then, you know, driving in areas that you know, if you're, that's typically, if I think someone is, you know, is safe, but they're not um, as safe as they used to be, so maybe they're just safer in their own area, then we'll restrict driving um, to that area and work with the, the local DMV or just the client if, you know, if I think that they're they're um they're going to continue to abide by the recommendations for their safety um then you know we can restrict where they drive and map out routes that are safer, you know maybe reducing uh um reducing some left hand turns that aren't restricted by a light um you know and and those are the least safe options. Um, just finding routes that are a bit safer for the individual. So, um, and, and ones that maybe have less complex traffic patterns, uh, avoiding certain times of the day, you know, when rush hour traffic, uh, you know, there are some areas like D.C. area that maybe that's completely unavoidable all, area, all times of the day, but most areas have, you know, between 10 and 3 or so forth that there aren't as many drivers on the road.
1: Um, yeah. you're you you're prescribing uh you know that there's sort of the more organic things that one does to improve your safety that might include uh rehabilitation working with your doctor for any physical uh, physical things that are happening or vision related things certainly we we you know to many people you know suggest the the services of vision re- rehabilitation um and then you said but you know on the day to day things you know Driving during the day, you, you mentioned choosing your route. Uh you know, you mentioned the the role of the AARP and some of their, their resources I think, you know, that sound like wonderful you know, wonderful resources. You know, we actually at Bright Focus have a, a safety in the older driver publication that we do put out. Um we're we're you know, we're also starting to to see studies coming out that talk about little tips and tweaks, you know, that one does inside the uh one does inside the car like you know where do you if you have a gps device you know where where do you put that in the car is it down there in the uh is it down there in the cup tray or is it over to the right or is it right in front of your your vision do you have any feeling about those those uh things that happen inside the the car that maybe are just uh the low-hanging fruit that one can adjust to to make driving just a little bit easier
2: well, you know, the first thing I would recommend um is looking up CarFit. Uh Carfit is a, a kind of an organization that brought together the American Occupational Therapy Association and um I believe it's um AAA or ARP, I don't have it right in front of me, but brought together um a bunch of resources together to make sure that you properly fit your vehicle. So oftentimes, you know, we buy cars, um, and, you know, you you have the car and it's great, but you don't necessarily fit very well in that new car. Or maybe you could if we adjusted the seat better so that you have a better view out your windshield and the mirrors are adjusted properly. Um, so that would be my first recommendation is looking up car fit and seeing if there's a, a car fit um, evaluation or evaluator in your area or coming to your area. The second thing about the GPS, I anecdotally have my opinions, but I decided to look up research on it, and there isn't really a lot of uh, research that specifies where you should have your GPS. Um, however, I did find something out of Canada, and it was saying that a GPS in the, um, the least safe positions were in the center of your um, windshield, um, under the rear view mirror, or directly in front of the driver. Well, I felt like that was duh, (laughs) you know, obviously directly in front of you is going to obscure your vision. Um, But the one that I thought was interesting was that um, kind of the center, a lot of us put the GPS um, sort of centered but low. um, And I think that's probably a better idea than just that dab there in the center um, where it may obstruct your view. And that was really the focus of this research was that you know, we frequently um, look at our GPS versus using the maybe the voice-guided, um, you know, portion of the GPS. And so the recommendations were, which I completely agree with, using the voice-guided portion of your GPS um, and, to, and trying to avoid looking at um, at the screen of the GPS frequently so that you're not taking your eyes off the road. Uh and so I think you know either having it you know I use I use my phone for GPS I keep it in my lap I listen to it so I'm not constantly looking at it I review the route before I leave because you can review the route just like you can on your standard GPS um you, so you can kind of get an idea where you're so that you're not surprised um and then listening to it as I'm going along I think there well, I, I think we're
1: heads. I'd like to move the conversation over. I really appreciate you taking the time to describe how the services of an occupational therapist work, how how one does a driving evaluation, what to expect, and then a few of the little ideas about how one makes things safer. Our next guest has made her career uh, founding and uh, you know and running now the ITN, which is uh, the Independent Transportation Network of America, has been doing it for 20 years, and there she's convincing the world that life post-driving doesn't have to mean giving up things like social lives or the necessities of shopping and doctor's visits. So Catherine Freund, can you can you talk about what life is like beyond driving and how someone stays mobile?
0: Sure, Guy. Um, first of all, thanks for having me on the on the show. Um, It's been really interesting to listen to Meredith. Uh, We hear, you know, similar kinds of questions a lot at Independent Transportation Network. Um, What's life like beyond driving? I I would say it's the same as life with driving as long as people have uh, some kind of a viable uh, mobility plan. Uh, You know, beyond driving, it's not... Like falling off a cliff, it's a very, very sudden, uh, dramatic uh, event. The transition from the driver's seat to the passenger seat, in my experience, takes place over about ten years. And a lot of the things that Meredith was describing um, as ways for people to remain safe—to you know, to not drive at night and to not drive in unfamiliar areas. Uh, or to uh, not drive in bad weather, to avoid left turns. Those are all really good compromises uh, for safety adjustments, if you will. But I think it's important to remember that when you're making those adjustments, you're also limiting your mobility. You're limiting your social life. You're limiting your access to uh, shopping and things that you might do. And so what I would say is during the years when – you're changing your driving pattern in order to be safe, those are the years when it's really good to begin exploring alternative transportation options so that you supplement your driving with alternatives. And that does two things. It helps you stay mobile. and It helps you stay connected to the life that you care about and the community and family that you care about. Um, but it also helps you be safe you know because if you if you're not driving at those times and in those locations when you don't feel safe and you're using uh, a transportation alternative, then you preserve your independence and your mobility um, and you, and you're safe at the same time. There's a, there's a really useful website that um, ITN America has built uh, with some very generous support from, Regeneron Pharmaceuticals it's called Rides in Sight and it it is available on the internet um it you know www.ridesinsight www. yeah,
1: it has so it
0: has 15,000 so could
1: repeat that again, Meredith? Uh, sorry, uh Catherine, if I could repeat that again. That's www.ridesinsight. And and maybe could you could you spell that out for us?
0: Sure. Sure. It's uh R I D E S I N S I G H T. And what makes this, um, I think, really special, it is the first national resource for transportation uh, specifically designed for older people and for people with visual impairment. It has more than 15,000 transportation providers. Um and it's not only on the internet, it's searchable on the internet and we actually have people available to answer phone calls. Uh if someone needs information about transportation in their area, either because they haven't found it on the internet or they're not comfortable using the Internet. And that's a that's a, a free service uh and it's available eight AM to eight PM Eastern time. So we're we're there to help people with their transportation needs wherever they live in the United States. So, um, just to sort of go back to what I was saying before, you know, if you're if you're going to an occupational therapist, if you're doing everything you can with vision therapy and and personal therapy to assure that you are safe, I, I just can't say enough about how important it is to think about and plan for transportation during the transition. Uh, and then afterward, most people don't realize it, but people who stop driving in the United States outlive that decision by about a decade. and that is a that is a very long time uh, to be using alternative transportation, and it really helps people to become comfortable with it, um, to have a plan, and to move into it gradually. And what that preserves for people is a sense of uh freedom it's a sense of not being trapped it's a sense of not being dependent and and of having choices to be able to come and go as as you need to and you want to without asking favors um asking favors gets old in about 24 hours uh so uh so i think you know ideally that's life beyond driving which is just life you know i, I like to think that you know Abraham Lincoln did not drive. Lots of people do not drive. <laughs> you can be a whole person and get where you need to go and do what you need right. to do without driving.
1: Well, you you brought up the the subject of uh, of history here. I've mentioned a couple times that uh, that your 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 group has been doing what you do for 20 years now. So you're, you're celebrating that 20th anniversary this year. Could you could you talk about specifically about ITN and what what got you started and what the what the mechanism is that uh, that you've developed? Because it's it's been heralded as being a very innovative way to approach community transportation options for uh, especially for a low vision community.
0: Well, thank you. Um, well, we designed independent transportation network. Uh, not to be like a van or a bus, but to be a service that recreates for people the comfort and the convenience and the mobility of private automobile ownership. So it's a nonprofit membership organization. People join, and they set up something called a personal transportation account, uh, and the cost of their rides is debited from that account. So that's one of the innovations we created. The, the other innovation was that we actually expanded the resources available for, tra- for transportation by looking at uh, resources in very different ways. So it used to be when an older person was having difficulty driving, the car was looked at as the problem. You know, people would say, well, you know, how are we going to get them to stop driving this car? And what we said at ITN was, wow, nice big transportation asset. How do we convert that into rides? So we created a program that um, allows people to trade a car. Once they decide they're not going to drive, it allows them to trade their car to pay for their rides. Uh, We also realized that a lot of people are willing to drive others. uh, And so if you volunteer to drive for the Independent Transportation Network, we'll give you credit for that volunteer effort and you can store that in your personal transportation account, and you can essentially pay it forward so that when you're older and you have difficulty driving, other people will drive you, and you can pay for it with the credits you earned when you were younger when you were driving others. We call that uh, transportation social security. You know, it's a way to plan for your for your transportation needs. And we've been doing this for 20 years, people all over the country Are trading their cars. They are volunteering to drive others. They are storing their credits. Right now, um, in the transportation world, there's a lot of talk about. uh, Let's see, what's the initials? TNCs, Transportation Network Companies. And there's a couple of really famous ones now in the for-profit world, Lyft and Uber. Those are certainly choices for older people, you know, as are buses and vans. But ITN. Uh, Independent Transportation Network was a transportation network 20 years ago. Um, So we started in Maine, and then, you know, we are now in 22 states. We're providing a service now in, I believe it's 19 communities. And the service is available the way the private automobile is available, 24 hours a day, seven days a week for any purpose. Uh, And people love it. People love it.
1: So I, I want to get back. You brought up Lyft and Uber, which we we're hearing about in the news very often. And these are these ride-sharing opportunities that are very tech-driven, and mm-hmm. we certainly have uh, some people who are very graceful with technology, and other people who prefer not to you know not to have to deal with that. So you mentioned for site, you mentioned a website. You happen to have the? Uh, could you could you share with us the telephone number? And if you don't have it, then we'll 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 make it available by another another mechanism. But I'd love to love to get that onto the call today if you have that available.
0: I don't have it at the tips of my fingers, but I can get it for you before the end of the call. Right. We'll,
1: you know, this and all of our bright focus chats are recorded in uh, in audio files that we we distribute. We also have transcripts available. If you give us a couple weeks, we put a transcript together. And anyone who calls into the Bright Focus Foundation, we'd be happy to send out a copy of the transcript. And we'll make sure that number gets onto the transcript. And, and becomes available to people. Just briefly, if you have a call to, or a question rather that you'd like to ask of one of our speakers today, just press star 3 to submit that question to an operator and if for some reason you're disconnected, the number to call back in is 877-229-8493. But star 3 is the way to, to pose your questions. So one of the things that you mentioned, of course the rides in sight, as a service to, to look for uh, similar services in, to ITN in, in a person's given area. Maybe you know, maybe ITN, you know, you're, you're in many places around the country, but you're not in every place. So if somebody can't find what they're looking for on rides in sight, what are, what are the other options? Where does somebody go to find out what types of community transportation exists for the low vision community or for the elderly in their area?
0: Well actually Rides In Sight has that. It has the whole country. Um I, I think what you meant to say was we don't have ITN in every community. Well that's but,
1: that's true. I mean I, I'm of course thinking of many times people are referred to their regional offices of uh offices of aging within the government and there are there are other you know, prior to Rides in Sight, there's other places where Someone could go to find out about what regional transportation options you know, exist. I was curious if you beyond beyond those, if you had other, other uh, things I think that one you're, might find in yellow
0: paper. I yeah, I think you're thinking about the elder care locator. Um Perhaps. is that what you mean? That is a service, uh a national hotline that will connect you to your local agency on aging, and that's also a very good service. I I have the uh phone number that you asked me for now. Do you want it? Okay.
1: Right yeah if you wouldn't mind sharing that on on the air
0: sure it's uh one eight five five six zero seven four three
1: three seven okay all right well thank you thank you very much so the uh I'd like to move on to some of the the questions that we've had submitted by submitted by our callers. So we have the the first one came from Maurice from Connecticut, who says that she stopped driving at night about five years ago and misses the independence, you know, who, of being able to go to lectures at local museums, or taking an evening yoga class, etc. And she's asked generally about who she could contact and pay to give rides of short distances back back and forth, taxis being unreliable. And so we just had the conversation about about rides in sight and I want to repeat the telephone number for that that was 855 607 4357. And there may be 4337. Oh, 4337. I'm sorry, yeah. I can't read my new okay. writing. And uh, so I hope that I hope that that satisfies Maurice's question. Um there's a we have another question here. That uh, it, it's more of a political question, and it comes up in families all the time. It says, I, "I think I can still drive, but what do I say to someone who thinks I can't?" You know, Meredith, I, I'm sure you have a lot of experience talking with people that you know you have a professional opinion about their driving, and maybe there's you know maybe there's people in their family that even though you've passed a person has passed the, your tests, you know, that um, is still having trouble convincing those people close to them. So what, what kind of guidance do you give?
2: Uh, so if you're giving the example of somebody who came to me and they, I took them out, did the comprehensive driving evaluation, and they still, and they're safe to continue driving in the, in the way that they were before, but the family is Let's still look. very concerned.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
2: Okay. Uh, what I typically say, hopefully I have that family member in the office, when I go over the results of the evaluation, uh, because at that time I can help go through everything that we did and so they can they can hear all of the different areas that I took the person driving in and the things that I observed. Um, what I always try to do is, is take out the emotional aspect of it because um, you know, my feelings on something and, and my preconceived notions on something are definitely gonna affect what I think But if we can get down to the actual facts of the situation and break it down, maybe there's a very specific reason why that person, you know, is still concerned and we can address it at that time. Um, But if, you know, I try to go over all the facts, where I took the person, what what they're driving was like, and then um, give recommendations to follow up. So I I will always say that, you know, you can follow up with the physician. Um, You can review my evaluation, Um, You certainly can take the loved one to another driving rehab specialist and have another evaluation completed. Um, And then, you know, if it's it's something like Alzheimer's or, you know, the patient has some kind of disorder that is gradually going to continue to um, show declines, then I'll make recommendations to follow up in six months or sooner, you know, and I'll give signs of things to look for. Um, typically cognitive signs, um, and, and then I'll also recommend that the family member sit in the passenger seat and let the driver, my, my client, drive them so that they are actually seeing their driving and not just assuming that it's poor based on, again, maybe some preconceived um, notions or, you know, because they're not walking well or they just seem slower in general. Um, I think the harder thing
1: is, yeah. You bring Go up ahead. the, you know, bringing up the co-pilot. I, you know, it actually dovetails into a different question that that we have, which was what what is the role of a of a co-pilot in in driving? So, you know, other than just a person there to help assess your driving, what? What is what is having another person in the car do to the risk? Is it generally thought of as being helpful? Is it, uh, is it thought of as being something that would be too distracting for, for someone who is trying to, you know, trying to stay safe while they're driving?
2: Um, well, I think you're asking, maybe I'm catching, up. I think you're asking two different questions. When I think of co-pilot, I think of somebody helping the driver drive, um, and that. Um, there's only one driver in a car. It's not like an airplane. Um, you know, you certainly can have somebody help with navigation, you know, reading, they're driving unfamiliar areas, giving the directions. You need to make, you know, um, a left, at you know, Smith street or what have you. But, um, as far as helping to pilot the car that is definitely frowned upon and it isn't safe. And there are many reasons for it. Um, somebody who's sitting in the passenger seat, um, you know, can certainly be distracting and it depends on what the driver requires. So I've had um, some drivers where I've honestly um, recommended that they don't have passengers, Um, especially my elderly drivers who want to drive, you know, the grandchildren around. If I think that I've, I've let them, I've said, you know, driving in your familiar area um, is great. I've, I've actually restricted someone to driving just to church um, because that was honestly the only route that they could safely handle. Um, and I'll say, you know, you typically drive this alone. That's great. I don't want you bringing bring anybody else with you. If somebody else comes with you, let them drive um, because those distractions can be far too much for that specific driver. Uh, it really just depends on on, on the driver's abilities uh, because those distractions can be too much for somebody who already has uh, impairments in attention.
1: Well, we have another question coming in from Rob from Pennsylvania that I, I'd like to put to Catherine, and that, that question is about what, what options are available in rural areas? And I know Rights in Sight uh, is an aggregator of lots of different options, but you can you can you tell me about the the challenges of getting around in in rural areas and what the philosophy had been in the development of rides in sight towards towards people who are living in in more rural environments.
0: Well, <clears throat> rural rural transportation is the most difficult uh transportation issue to address um because the, the trips tend to cost more because they're longer. There are fewer opportunities to share rides. Mass transit is absolutely impossible. Um, And it really doesn't even work well in suburban areas, let alone rural areas. Uh, So um, it's actually one of the areas that we're trying to draw attention to uh, in this year, which is our 20th anniversary year. We think that A lot of the transportation answer is actually parked in driveways, you know, everywhere. And that is people with cars who would, if they knew someone in their community needed a ride, would be able to give that older person or that visually impaired person a ride in their car. So we're declaring 2015 the year to give an older person a ride. And we're doing a, a social media campaign about that. It's um, The handle is uh, hashtag share a ride. And we're asking everybody um, in this year to give just one older person a ride and to post it on our Facebook page. And if they like to tell us their story, we're going to do a 60-day a trip across the United States, leaving on the day of our the anniversary of our first ride, which is June 16th, 2015. We're going to drive all over the country and listen to people's stories so that we can help raise the awareness of this transportation need, especially in rural areas. Um, You know, if everybody went out and gave an older person a ride or a visually impaired person a ride, that would be the end of the problem. (laughs) This isn't like, um, you know, an illness where we don't know how to fix it we absolutely know how to fix this. It is people helping each other. So, for the really rural areas, um, we think that's the way to go. For now, um, because I know many people need transportation now in rural areas, you know, I would suggest that people look around their community for volunteer services. There may be, you know, some infrequent paratransit routes um healthcare centers may have transportation options churches synagogues and so forth um but it, it's a bit of a patchwork in the rural areas and it requires everybody to be creative and thoughtful and look around um and that's the people who are looking for the rides but for everybody else I would say you know please open your eyes and look around and see those in need around you and and offer to give them a ride that's that's the best way to do it
1: Anyone who's who's plugged into social media can certainly uh, can certainly tune into our social, social media bright focus, and we'll be sharing uh, some of the events that are happening around in the in the community, including this, uh, including the events that Catherine just just described, as well as to the independent transportation networks community. Um,
2: can I chime in real quick on, on um, and just kind sure. of piggyback? back? Uh, Catherine, what I have told a lot of my clients who have family support, um, and you had mentioned earlier that, you know, it gets tiring when you're asking for rides, Um, and I completely agree, and I feel oftentimes my clients have people available but don't want to bother them, Um, and so what I've recommended when I sit down with my client and typically family is there, I recommend setting up a date um, where, you know, maybe – dad um, has his son or daughter or daughter-in-law who's already coming over to help or is offered to help and setting up dates. You know, hey, dad, every Wednesday, you know, we're going to have dinner together. So I'll come over, you know, maybe two hours before and any, you know, shopping or um, appointments you need done, I'll be there every Wednesday. And if you don't have any place to go, then we'll just spend time together. And I feel like a lot of families were receptive because Then a the older driver who maybe isn't driving anymore knows to schedule things on a very specific date, um, or you know, to do the grocery shopping or whatever Um, errands they need to run on that day of the week, um, and they don't have to actually bother asking because they already know that person's coming over.
1: Um, It doesn't always work, uh, but (coughs) I think if I can interject here, I think I'm. Going to have given Meredith the last word today. Oh, I'm starting to run out of time, unfortunately. And I do want to take thank everyone for taking the time to speak with us today, and thank everyone who joined the call and asked questions. So within about a week, we'll be posting a recording and a transcript of the call on our website. We also have available the uh, Safety in the Older Driver b- uh, publication through the Bright Focus Foundation. I'll describe how to get to that in just a moment. You can also listen to and download past chats on iTunes and SoundCloud. Our, what I'd like to do, if you, uh, we'd like to get a little feedback from you, so we have a poll that we'd uh, ask if people would use their keypads on their phone to press 1 if you found this topic very helpful, press 2 if you found it somewhat helpful, and press 3 if you did not find this helpful at all, and we need to think, the, uh, think it through. But that's 1 if you found it very helpful, 2 if you found the topic somewhat helpful, and three, if maybe we have some more work to do. So our next chat will be on what is on the horizon for AMD research, where we'll be featuring some of the researchers who are out there in the uh, in the research laboratories looking at the biology of macular degeneration, and what are the therapies that they predict will be part of the what will be the arsenal in the doctor's office in the future. So that will be on Wednesday, February 25th at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific. And we'd encourage you to register and submit questions in advance, and we'll be sending anybody who's currently registered a reminder email. So you can register and request those free materials, like our Safety in the Older Driver brochure, by calling Bright Focus at 1-800-437-2423 or by visiting the website at brightfocus.org, so that's B-R-I-G-H-T-F-O-C-U-S dot and that's 1-800-437-2423. Again, thank you to everyone for joining us today, and to Catherine Freund and Meredith Lyons for providing your expertise. If you'd like to leave a comment after the call, just stay on the line. Thank you, and from all of us at the Bright Focus Fo- Foundation, have a great day. Thank you so much.
0: The information provided in this recording is a public service of Bright Focus Foundation and is not intended to constitute medical advice. Please consult your physician for personalized medical, dietary, and or exercise advice. Any medications or supplements should only be taken under medical supervision. Bright Focus Foundation does not endorse any medical products or therapies.